This is The Shape of Advice, a new podcast series created by Professional Planner. My name is Matthew Smith, and I'm head of retail content at Conexus Financial and editor of Professional Planner. This series is a conversational style exploration of the advice landscape that draws on the knowledge and insights of industry thought leaders, experts, and practitioners who are forging ahead with new partnerships, augmenting business models, and adapting to new technologies. Please visit professionalplanner.com or get in touch to join the conversation. And now, please enjoy this episode. I'm joined today by Paul Forbes, Chief Executive of RFS Advice, based in sunny Queensland on the Gold Coast, and Martin Morris, Head of Distribution for Premium, based in Melbourne. And today we're discussing Zen and the art of financial advice. Good morning, gentlemen. Morning, morning, Matt. Great to have you both. To you first, Paul, you've been in a lot of parts of the advice industry. Now you're a licensee. So yeah, really interested in your journey, how you got there and um, and where you've kind of been along the way. Thanks, Matt. Uh, it's It's been an interesting journey. So I think um, I actually joined the industry 35 years ago after completing my first degree. Um, and in those days, you joined someone like AMP and National Mutual. Um, so I started into, into office uh, before eventually going out in the field. Um, and interesting on technology, uh, I was part of the early release of Champion, which was the first CRM system that uh, AMP introduced to its advisors, and that was part of my role. I went out and trained people. Um, so there was a sort of a, some sort of gestation in, uh, in technology, uh, albeit somewhat primitive. Uh, Look, through that, then went, went on to uh, work in the UK, worked in reinsurance over there, um, came back and then worked in funds management uh, before moving into platforms. So funds management, I was with ANZ Macquarie Bank uh, and then moved into platform, AM Corporation, before it actually got bought out by IWF um, and headed that up for a while before then actually moving back into where I'd really started, which was back into um, the world of advisors and licensees. So ran Guardian Financial Planning for a while. Uh, then moved into professional investment services, which is how I ended up at the Gold Coast, uh, and then made the conscious decision of stepping away from institutions and bought into a, a very good quality um, little business, which we've now made into a much larger um, good quality business in in RFS advice. Yeah, and, and I'm interested in exploring today a little bit about perhaps how the industry's legacy or um, the way in which it's kind of built itself um, maybe an advantage, you know, obviously bringing experience, but could be a hindrance as well in terms of efficiency of business models. How have you, what are some of the, just at a top level, some of the points um, that you're going to bring to the table, talk about today in terms of um, some of the things that you're doing to make your business more efficient and um, more able to to handle the needs of, of, of clients? Yeah. Yeah. I think the, the industry has, has evolved from, you know, I think technology has helped all the way through here. And I think, you know, all of us would look back and go, even 10 years ago, we had nowhere near the ability to um, utilise the sort of technologies as we're doing today um, that we, we, and we couldn't even foresee it. But what we could see was there was, you had to continue keep continue to keep your head up. You had to keep looking for any ways that you could look at building inefficiencies. Um, and if you... You know, I think the we've had the you know, we had platform efficiencies. So we went from having funds management to administrative platforms with a, a ton of efficiencies. Um, 
we've, we then had software efficiencies, which is more about financial planning and advice documents. Um, we're now looking at compliance efficiencies with new platforms coming in to um, try and uh, AI a, a version of um, compliance and audit. So all of these things um, fundamentally drive the delivery. So, well, they're, they're the enablers for the delivery advice. Um, I don't think the core advice business has really changed. It's still about uh, helping clients achieve um, their goals. And that's never been far away, and that goes right right back to the early early days of data collection. It was always there, um, but we can we can be so much more interactive now. We can actually give them real information, real live information, um, and you know, product design has improved as well. Yeah, and really looking forward to digging into some of that as well. But Martin. Your um, head of distribution at one of the new platforms that are coming up and uh, really kind of gaining market share and uh, using technology to to help advisors enable their businesses, um, you know, service their clients in a more efficient yep. way. So, yeah. So uh, my 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 uh, career started in the industry thirty years ago, uh, nineteen ninety. April 1990 as a trainee BDM in London. Uh, that really was the Wild West back then. There was no soft dollar. Um, it was selling product to product. It was um, it, it was hard work, uh, but it was a really good grounding in the industry. And I really enjoyed sales and I enjoyed the the concept of the um, serving clients. It, it, you know, I was doing something I enjoyed, but with a worthwhile industry. Uh, I spent a small time while I was in the UK as an advisor. I I ventured out. I was probably a little bit too young at that stage. And again, it was very much Wild West selling product hand to mouth. So um, I got lured back into distribution. But about uh, just 19... December 2000, I moved to Australia because I got married to an Australian who had no interest in living in the UK. So she forced me to move over here, albeit I, uh, yep. Um, (laughs) I love it here and I've really enjoyed it. And I embraced the, luckily to be able to get a foothold in the industry fairly quickly. I joined NetWealth in their early days. They weren't quite ready for launch when I joined them, Um, but they they were starting to get their foothold in what they wanted to achieve. Um, Just due to timing, I moved on quite quick uh, and joined Scandia in the in October 2001 and was part of their journey of of driving new platform in Australia and I think we'd fair to say that we had a really good team um, also we challenged the status quo even of technology in the early 2000s and what platforms are achieving and the price levels that platforms should be so we've been through all that I went through all that change with with um, Scandia and then I broke away to set up my own business I became an accredited behavioral sales coach um, and I wanted to give advice to financial planning practices. I was really enjoying the consultancy part of the BDM world. But unfortunately, that was 2008 when I launched the business. Couldn't have been a worse timing. Um, so fairly quickly, uh, that was not going to give me any headway. So I joined a national uh, mid-tier independent licensee in Melbourne and was there for three and a half years where I really enjoyed working with a financial planner. I was head of um, business development and marketing for, the, for that group, working with practices on um, getting through FOFA, understanding client engagement, understanding the pricing models, which is really where a lot of what I push now in terms of the support I give to practices is around what I learned at that licensee time. Um, I moved away from there and I did a couple of other roles with different, different groups. I was a CEO of a SMSF administration business for a couple of years. 
Um, and then four years ago, I, I came across to Premium where they were looking for a head of distribution. Um, we only had two salespeople at that stage. Um, we've now grown to a team of 25. Um, and now I'm a, I'm a director of the Australian business as well. So it's been really great to sort of recreate the Scandia growth, but in a, in a, mod, a modern environment within Premium. So it's been great experience. Yeah, I think it's really interesting because both both you guys have experienced that you're able to contextualize or look back or, or look at the the advice practice and the advice models uh, with some uh, you know abstraction or, or context. Martin, to you, you know what you must have seen a lot of advice businesses and and kind of what they're doing and how they've progressed. You know, straight off the bat, what are, what are a couple of the things you think make the most impact in terms of uh, an advisor's or, or practice owner's ability to evolve their business and to incorporate technology. Yeah, look, I think if you look at the most successful practices, I think they've got very similar themes. And and right at the top of the theme is the first one, they know who they're serving. They've understood their client base. Mm. They understand the need they're delivering on. Mm. Um, and they've got a great level of focus on that, on that solution. So they've got a framework to work from. Um, the problem is that too many businesses, the financial planner or the owner of the business will build a business around things they're interested in and how and what what, what they like to do in a sort of a mantra, if right. I build it, they will come. Mm. And the reality is that's that's not the case. There's if if it's what the the practitioner loves to do, um, that's great. But unfortunately, does that marry with enough clients that want to actually follow that? that mantra as well. So my time at the licensee, uh, one of the biggest things that we did when we did client surveys is, so I was keen to get them uh, advised to do client surveys, was there was always this need for client referrals and there was a lack of client referrals. And most practices had clients that would say they love to refer, they would love to refer, but actually didn't refer. There was very low engagement in terms of referral rates. And I think a lot of that was to do was that it's not a very clear business model if you're building portfolios, but everything that you do is not linked to a client strategy. It's not linked to a need. It's not linked to a demographic or a psychographic or the business needs to really understand what it's trying to achieve. And I think that's that's one of the, the biggest difference. Um, you know, there's some research that I read, Carbone um, Smolin in the US that were doing a um, um, Enduring Brands Index and they looked at the sort of five key things that businesses um, need to show, or, show, or those that have enduring brands, what they show consistently. Consistently, and it's self-awareness. They're principled. They're deliberate. They're adaptive, and they're focused. And and when you look at those planning practices that we deal with, that are at the forefront and haven't really faltered through this last. Um, pandemic issue. They've continued. Of, of course, they've slowed down, but haven't really um, stopped. Is because they've often got a really good, strong CEO or operational focus, and they know how to chart these waters. They know how to chart the the storm that's in front of them, and they can take control of that while everybody else continues to do what they need to do in the business, like seeing clients and doing everything they need to do. So, I think that the biggest thing about utilizing tech, if you don't understand who you're serving and you don't have a framework and an understanding of how to deliver that, tech is just technology. It's a facilitator and nothing else. 
it shouldn't be the driver. This podcast is brought to you in partnership with Premium, the integrated managed accounts platform. Premium provides the ideal functionality and flexibility for all advice businesses to deliver an exceptional wealth management experience. Visit premium.com to find out more. Yeah, so so client segmentation, if I'm to broadly interpret what you're saying there, seems to sit really at the center of many of the successful practices you've you've absolutely yeah paul i mean is that something that resonates with you how have you has client segmentation been a big part of building your business yeah well i think if you and um yeah we've talked about this before but um in early in early years advisors do take a lot of a lot of clients and pretty much uh, you know they've got capacity, so they take them. I think very quickly as you build, um, you have to start looking about at, at what the model of your business will be. Um, and um, I know there's models out there which add lots and lots of advisors, whereas we actually always went with let's look at adding, um, let's really build the productivity of the advisors and get really good quality advisors on board, but put in a lot of support network behind them. Now, if you're going to do that, you've then got to understand the cost of your business. So are you delivering on the promise? The promise is absolutely. So good clients want us to pretty much take over their world, their financial world. And to do that, you've got to actually have resources which support the advisor. You've got a busy advisor. They're in meetings continually. Um, they can't be relied upon to get back in timely manners, follow up on every administrative query, all those other changes. So um, so we've very much built a business here uh, yeah, we've got four key advisors, but we actually are a, bus- a business of 18 just in the, the advice practice. So, and that's really to build that um, that structure of support behind it. Mm. Um, to your point then on the segmentation, you sort of go, well, righty, well, what, what clients do we need to what, – what, who, who, who do we need to attract? Um, not surprising to most of your listeners is, you know, the money sits with that, the over 50s, you know, the 50s to 65s, 70s, and increasingly beyond that. Um, so you then look at the model that supports that, and um, and then you look at the various ways you could support that. So something you know, for smaller clients, it isn't necessarily about um, what how much money they're generating for the business. It more comes down to do they genuinely want to engage with us? So uh, are they time poor professionals, time poor individuals who go, yep, I get what you guys do. I now want you to take over my whole financial life. Um, I want you to keep me on track. I'm going to get. I'm going to get on with my life over here. Uh, that's sort of a form of segmentation. Um, obviously, at the top end, you then look at the cost of your services, and you go, "Radio, I can I can deliver these services to that group, and I can deliver these services to a smaller group." And that's when you start really looking at how you can deliver efficiencies using tech, uh, where they still feel they're having a really good experience, um, but they're you're not adding a lot of time in post to the business and, and tying up all your best resources. So it's almost a personality type uh, that you're using for segmentation rather than a than a number per se. Yeah, it, it's interesting. I mean, you, you, we've seen it and Martin's been through the, the ringer with advisors, licensees. Um, there, we, we, we dealt with a client this week who's got $17 million, but they're not going to value anything we do. Right? So, um, But with a client who walks in with one and a half to $2 million, uh, they're just pre-retirement. They've got a goal of what their life wants to be. Um, they want to know, A, can they retire? If they can't now, when can they retire? How are we going to get there? Lay out my plan for me, okay? And in the way, can you help me educate, 
and uh, educate my kids and you know and really build a an offer. And, and frankly within you know within 45 minutes an hour they're going I want that okay so that's the difference is it's not really the the size of the client it's the, the their willingness to engage and obviously they've still got to afford it yeah and and yeah. how does that relate to the identity of your business then you you've um clearly articulated the type of client that you want in terms of um you know their willingness to engage and uh, value your service. What, what does that mean then to the the identity of your business? Um, well, what it comes down to is we have built a business on, and it, I know it sounds a little bit trite because everyone talks about it, but we've we've built a business which is very very driven by service. So that that a willing willingness to serve our customers, and we've built it using various tools on the way, um, perception points and the Kaufman perception points, um, as is one sort of thing but I think in, internally every part of our business knows that they have a role to play in both bringing clients into the business but also making them feel um, cared for and uh, important to the business um, so yeah look we to your point to Martin's point on surveys and other bits and I think we, we talk about that as tech as well that's so easy now to run surveys on clients and there's it's very cost effective um, if you then if you're providing great service and then you do ask for referral, and we track everything, we track referrals. We uh, we actually have a meeting every week where we talk about how the business is going, how many client referrals we're getting, how many accounting referrals we're getting, um, and that's really just for me to keep to make sure that the the advisors and the practice are, are just regularly reminded this is important to us. Keep that pipeline full. Doesn't necessarily mean we're taking on literally hundreds of new clients every year. What it does mean, though, is that we have a a broad pool of potentially good clients talking to the business regularly. Hmm. Okay, so Paul's got his um, ideal client defined and and uh, and the identity of his business. Uh, then Martin, what what then from a tech perspective can businesses once they have that use to you know enhance and enable their offering? Yeah, and just to pick up on also what Paul said there, which will lead into what I'm going to say, is that his his team know what they're doing. You know, quite often in a in a practice, you have a strong dominant business owner in any SME, and they know what they're doing, and often their team doesn't. So having that really strong focus, that really strong clarity around who your client is and how you're servicing them, and the type of model and the type of business you want to be, ensures that. It isn't just, it, it's a fabric of the business. It isn't just a statement, it's a culture. And then if you've got that culture, you can use the technology to build that framework for you. So you've agreed all those components first, your team is on board and they understand what they need to do. So using technology is actually the enabler of that culture that you are living and breathing in experience. And I talk about this in a lot of presentations. People only refer experiences, they don't refer things, they don't refer an SOA. When when someone's um, up done a, an extension on a house and you're talking about a tradesman, you talk about how they were to do business with. Did they live up to their promise? Were they on time? Were there difficulties? How did how did they get over them? It's the experience that's being referred rather than necessarily the house that's built or the extension that's put on. And I think that's the same in financial planning. And I think technology can lose sight of that human contact in the in the process. But practices, if they understand that that their business model, that their team understands what they need to do, can cut through a lot of the noise and ensure that 
they understand their own client engagement iceberg. And that is, what activities is the practice doing that is underwater that technology can do for you or or that you can outsource or do whatever, where the client doesn't add value, that you can look to streamline and that you can just get through very, very quickly. And then focus on using technology or people to enhance the component of the iceberg that the client can see, which is the nice whites and blues above the water. So I think really understanding that and understanding also that demographics are changing. I think I think if you don't if you don't actually consider your engagement model and if you internalize how technology should be used. So for example, Traditional platforms were designed as business tools, not client engagement tools. And when you look at forward-thinking platforms like Premium, they're based on the premise of how do you engage a client with the technology. It creates business efficiency, and I'm not negating that you shouldn't have business efficiency as part of it, but a key stakeholder is the client. So it's actually understanding that that service, that technology is all delivering a client engagement experience that is relevant to the demographic. And you've got millennials coming up that are now 40 that want a different service. They want transparency and they want different things in their in their model. But also older clients are asking for more content, more activity, more um, control. They'll want more transparency in their portfolio. So how do you engage that and adapt for the client changing mm-hmm. needs? What happens if you get it the wrong way around? Like, uh, have you seen any examples of businesses that um you know, led with the tech and perhaps not understood their own um, businesses well enough. And, you know, what, what are some yep. things perhaps listeners can, can look out yeah, for? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Look, and, and there's research been done by um, various people, but sort of net wealth's um, research as well around fintechs and technology stacks in a business. And, you know, if you've got a technology stack that could have up to 13 or 15 different providers in your business, you end up being the 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 tails wagging the dog. You know, the technology is spending so much time trying to make all these different systems integrate. Um, and, and you know, API has been great to try and remove some of the friction. But unfortunately, too much technology could have just as bad an impact as not enough technology. You know, we've still got practices in Australia that are still grappling with tech X-Plan, let alone looking at the 50-odd fintechs in Australia. But the problem is you do have businesses that spend so much time on internal processes and procedures um, and and the way the tech, it's confusing than when you deliver it to a client. And it, again, it does come back to who is your client and what do you need to deliver? And and some practices deliver too much information. And that might be that they've communicated during times of pressure, but they haven't communicated in the right way. So I did a survey with a very, very good practice who, um, in, in my time of licensee land, that got really good ratings for communication, as in, yes, they communicate enough. When we dug under the surface, though, the communication wasn't clear enough. They didn't understand some of the information that was given to them. So it's making sure you get the right tech to deliver the right information in the right format at the right time. And that's where some businesses do fall over because maybe the clients don't need quite such a sophisticated approach. And we've got that problem because we have really sophisticated tech that can be either for a mum and dad or for a family office. And you just got to be careful that you're using it for the right audience at the right time, going back to client segmentation. And that can be different segments in your business. It doesn't have to be different business types. It can be making sure you've got the right technology to deliver a solution that's right for one segment of your client, maybe not the other segment of clients. Paul, I uh, saw you nodding your head there when Martin was talking about complexity, um, mm. you know, on the flip side of the coin, simplicity mm. when it comes to delivering something to clients. Did you need to untangle a lot? And how have you managed to maintain that simplicity? 
Yeah, I think um, it's an interesting. It's always good to listen to Martin. Um, the 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 complexity. It's easy when you first kick off a business. A whole bunch of new ideas, especially if you're a business which is growing rapidly, and people bring a lot of new ideas to you. Um, but eventually, you have to work out what your core um, business is, the challenge you're going to work in, and then the only thing you do in your business is you work in those channels. So, you know, people will say, oh, you should do this. You could do X, you could try that. You go, yeah, but if it doesn't work for these these client demographics and it doesn't deliver the advice we deliver in these these specific areas, then we're not going to do it. That made the world much simpler. No is a very efficient word. We all know that, but you also have to say no for the right reasons. Um, but I was, what I was nodding about with um Martin is we when we do our um, perception points exercise, which we try and do probably every um, six to nine months in here, um, we'll talk about our engagement with clients, whether it's existing or uh, new clients and new processes we could add. And where you've got to be very careful is what may be efficient for your business might be uh, very very inefficient for the client. So if we're if we're trying to work with time poor individuals, giving them homework before they come in is probably not the ideal way to kick it off. Um, but we still need information. So I've listened. To, I've been to any number of conferences where people talked about collecting data electronically beforehand and all those things. And um, yeah, to all the advisors out there, where their sixteen page CDFs they're sending to clients, um, they're a couple of clients might fill them in, but the vast majority are not are not going to complete them. And if they do, it'll take them months. Um, so we uh, so what we worked out was internally three things. We worked out first off: a client rings into the business and says, oh, "I want to speak to an advisor." Da da da. They have a need. All right, we need to work out what their need is pretty quickly. And sending them homework before they even come in and asking them for personal information was never going to work. Um, so we then have one advisor in the business who now makes the outgoing calls to every one of those clients to determine a filtering whether or not we we, we think they should be part of the business. We'll then send them a question set, but it's a very abbreviated question set, which just means that first meeting is going to be far more interactive, and it's also going to we're going to ask them what specific need they they need they need fulfilled. So that'll be in the agenda for the meeting when they come in. Um, when they come, um, and that's sort of then you work your way through that process. Uh, but another one which I went uh, doesn't work. We, we we have built a reception area which is put together specifically so when clients come in, there's all these photos of lots of the clients achieving benchmarks. Um, but when we talked about you know existing clients coming in, one of the suggestions was let's give them an iPad and they can actually update their any details they have straight into um, our our CRM, which is Midwinter, which sounds very efficient, but Instead of them sitting there having a nice chat to our receptionist uh, or front office, getting a cup of tea, looking at all these photos of all these people doing success, you know, being successful and achieving what they want to achieve, I'm now going to have them filling in an iPad. And we went, yeah, that's not going to work. So, um, so you, you can be you can be efficient, but you need to remember at the centre of all of this, what what are we trying to deliver? And we're trying to deliver service for clients who are time poor. So we don't want them to have to. We want to lift all of that off them. And what we're going to do is work out ways to do that. And, and, just, and Matt, we yeah. talked about this previously as well. Some of the best research that I've been part of was a pre and post retiree focus group research we did with Andrew Inwood, a yeah. brand management that was called out that's turned into core data. And that that mapped the trust cycle. And the, a client goes through 13 stages of trust 
through the financial planning process. And exactly what Paul said, if you're getting someone to fill in a questionnaire and they don't know you yet, they're wondering why you're going to want that information and how you're going to use it yep. because they're going to take their own biases to this relationship. Now, quite often, clients come to an advisor because they've either not had an advisor and feel they've let everything go and it's all it's all a mess, they feel a bit stupid, or they've been to an advisor where it's not worked and they feel a lack of trust. And, and you're not fixing that by getting them to fill a questionnaire in. So the the great side of technology is that efficiency. The downside is you've got to be very careful of the trust cycle and make sure that that is part of the culture of why you're using technology. Yeah. I just wanted to pick up on the perception points piece, Paul, because I didn't want to let that go just in case I didn't get back to it. Um, uh, so, yeah, um, and it's probably now 2013, 14. Yeah, I was sure. lucky enough to go to a conference where um, – Ron Kaufman was one of the keynote speakers, and we actually did a workshop with him for about two hours. And he's a very interesting individual, um, uplifting service. I won't, I won't give the book a plug because it's a very dry read, okay? <laughs> but but he himself is fascinating. He's done a lot of work all over the world. Um, and he, um, But what what we took out of it and what I could then use as a, um, a tool in the business, I suppose, was perception points. Um, a lot of people talk about one percenters. Now, one percenters are okay, but but you now it was sort of like the the way one percenters work was you have your meeting and you say to people, okay, so you know let's let's talk about how we can inch up one percent, you know, a bit of kaizen, continuous improvement, uh, hack me, and they're madly trying to come up with an idea. Versus if I said, okay, let's talk about our initial client experience. So what do the clients um, hear from us? What do they see? What do they see when they get into the office? Um, when they walk into the room, what's that look like? Um, you know, what what messages are we trying to give them, both you know, largely physically as well as environmentally? Um, and then you start talking about that. How do we make that in that first interaction with our business? Um, and to Martin's point of building trust, how do we do that as easily as possible? We're taking a good quality prospect from prospect to client, almost within the first three or four minutes of them being in the, mm-hmm. in the business and they start to feel comfortable. And there's a lot of pieces to that. But if you actually then look at each touch point um, in your in the process of providing that initial engagement, the advice, uh, and then all the way around to review, you can actually then work on each, each part of that and change it and improve it and change the feel of it. And you can do the same thing with reviews, um, you know, insurances. You can do it with claims and how would we deal with a claim and and you know, what's the first thing we hear, how we follow it through. So each, each I suppose, um, larger process in your business, we then run perception points over and we try and renew it every 12 months so that when, especially in, especially in reviews, the clients are then are coming back. Uh, when they come in, it's like, oh, this is a new new experience. It's not the same as the last you know, four ones I've had or the last two ones I've had. Um, and that's and once again, that's where you get to tech. Yeah, look, uh, lots of great hints and um, some readings to go back to from this podcast. So, thanks yeah. um, both for for, for sharing them. Um, simplicity, obviously, coming through as the key, but a lot of advisors probably are looking at the code of ethics and uh, other kind of evolutions in um, professional standards and thinking and perhaps getting hung up a little bit on on meeting best interest duty uh, and, and are wondering, well, you know, is this stripped back kind of simplistic style thinking about clients and, and efficiency of their business? How is, you know, what we're t- discussing here, how is that 
also addressing, um, you know, important things like best interest, Judy Martin? Yeah, sure. Look, I think um, just to say in the first instance, is it, are we spending too much time? I think it's a disappointment that as an industry, we have to have best interest duty as a flag point in the first place. Um, And we need to get past that. And that's that trust cycle with the community. So just like a lawyer and accountant, as soon as they go and see one, there should be a level of trust initially. And we've got to get through that. Um, But best interest duty really has had um, unfortunately, got very simplified in terms of price. A lot of advisors still focus on best interest in terms of price. And of course, that's got to play a very big part in, in what we're doing. But the simplicity of building using technology or, or simplifying or creating efficiencies use technology isn't about removing best interest duty or, or, or it doesn't affect best. It should enhance best interest duty mm-hmm. because the technology should allow us to do things like create greater transparency for the demographic change. So forget price, we'll assume prices are given. But you've got things like um, transparency for demographics. Millennials want more. Um, they want more access to information. They want to know who you're investing in. They want to have more focus on ESG. They might have more requests of the advisor on how to focus on that. Um, You've got best interest in terms of trading. You know, traditional platforms are very slow to trade. The newer platforms using managed accounts, particularly like premium, it's about speed to trade. And if you look about these volatile moments that we've just been through in the market, how many trades were done on a daily basis. And best interest, Judy, is when you have the old traditional ABC client and your A clients are the ones who gave you more money, they got your attention first. Well, the reality is it doesn't matter if it's your most profitable client or your least profitable client. Best interest means you need to treat them both fairly doesn't mean you treat them equally, but you must treat them fairly, which means you must get to them in an equal amount of time. So when a market's moving, if they're both in a balance argument, like a balanced type portfolio, that they're both going to get rebalanced at the same time. Um, those things are really important. And I think that um, best interest duty and technology allows you to focus more on best interest duty, deliver it better, um, more simply and more efficiently, but actually enhance it rather than ignore it. Yeah, Paul, are you, I mean, we've just gone through, you know, in March, a, a massive market drop and, um, you know, obviously transparency, as Martin mentioned there, uh, has, has become more and more important. Are you, are they some of the things that you're using in your business, using technology to uh, enhance in your business, um, Paul? Yeah, um, I think one of the, the amazing things actually is how far we've come in 10 years, because we go back, or 12 years, we go back to the, the GFC uh, and, um, I look at the uh, how we could react to the GFC versus how we can react now, um, and you look at the technology and what's happened in that. Now, Martin mentioned um, separately managed accounts or um, or using things like model portfolios. They were around, but they weren't particularly efficient. Um, and every time you wanted to make a change, uh, you actually have to do you have to do an ROA or you know, even just moving one manager in and out. Um, now, if you can build a model portfolio um, using some of the, the tools now which are built into the the, um, the newer technology platforms like Premium, um, you can actually deal with that very, very quickly. But not only that, um, what we found through this and um, we got feedback when we did our client survey, uh, we did it in July, got really good feedback, but we actually wanted to do it um, specifically post, you know, when we were sort of still three or four months into this pandemic, we wanted to make sure we were hitting the right notes for our clients. And one of the points they made to us was um, that they'd, they'd like more updates, as in more investment updates, because markets are moving so rapidly. Now, to the listeners out there, some some many will know that can be problematic. 
um, because they're always then looking at um, their you know, yesterday's return and they always look at the top of the return versus where they are now and they ignore the fact that you know, we should always be looking at one to three years. Um, so what we then looked at, um, one of the things which we, we can do with premium quite nicely is uh, we can access the investor portal so we can see exactly what the client's seeing. So we can either share screen, but also what we worked out, uh, how could it, how we could improve the service was doing a personalised video of their of their portal, telling them exactly where to look for information, but also teaching them to make sure they looked um, at the one and three year numbers versus looking at the last quarter, which is what what can be the mistake when you first look in in those things. Um, but the re- the really interesting thing was that um, you know. 12 years ago, if a client walked in and they were incredibly nervous and they wanted to de-risk, um, it was a case of filling out a piece of paper, sending it off, and then we'll let you know how you went in two weeks' time because um, you don't really know what price you got. Uh, these days, with the transaction speed of these newer platforms, um, you know, we, we can actually have a client sign off in the room and actually do that transaction in front of them and know that that trade will go through at tomorrow morning's date. And they can log in tomorrow morning and they will actually see that's moved. Uh, and so for a client who's, who's nervous, now, you know, we, don't, we wouldn't encourage people to ever leave the market or abandon the market, um, but certainly to pull some money back out of the market if they're that nervous and you, everyone knows the sleep test, we can, we can actually give them exactly what they're after and we can do it in real time. Um, we can be totally transparent. They can see it happen. And when they get back in the car leaving the business, they, they can feel that we've actually met their need. Um, and that's part of the, what technology can do. Yeah. Look, it's been a really fascinating conversation today. And Paul Martin, uh, you know, very philosophically oriented as well. So, uh, you know, a lot of things uh, for the listeners there to ponder and read back on. So appreciate that. I think to Martin's point uh, as well, you know, leadership and really understanding your identity. You know, and as an advice practice and starting with that. I, I quote quite regularly Rico, a workplace technology specialist, and they say that only 40% of Australian organisations have enough knowledge about their strategy and required systems and processes. And that's at an SME level. And, and I think that's what's got to underpin all of this. And no, no, nothing will work without an anchor. And the anchor is what you're doing and why you're doing it. And then you build on top of it. And, and it's that anchor that's going to hold the businesses strong through turbulent times like we've just been through. Yeah, great. And um, what's next now for you, Paul? Can you continue to perhaps build on to, to what you already have uh, and, and maintain that simplicity? Uh, I, th- I think we can. I think, I mean, um, as far as uh, growth goes, the trajectory is still really, really sound. Um, and you just continue to reinvent yourself. But that demographic is changing as well. You know, we've got an older demographic, so we're now going to look at the services to do those. Um, I know Martin knows this, but you know, we, we, we're building a, a large aged care advice business because that then services our 50 to 65-year-olds who are putting their parents into aged care um, and need advice on that. And we're doing a ton of work in the small business space and that's our next next version of our pre-retirees um, and looking at services we can deliver in there. Um, we had done a lot of work in, in uh, succession planning and uh, and uh, risk and protection of wealth. And now we need to actually look at how we go about business consultancy and working more closely with the accountants and the legal firms inside those small businesses. Um, the, the other big one, and I think one which 
is a sleeper out there for many people is is um, uh, liquidity events for big practice uh, for big businesses or relatively um, large SMEs. So everyone thought that people would retire at sixty five, but in small people in small business people don't retire at sixty five. So uh, they're likely to hang in longer but they still have to deal with the fact that at some stage there has to be a succession plan. So there will be um, – they'll want help in – they've been really good at running their business but and that's their superannuation asset. They're now going to crystallise that and they'll want wealth advice um, that educates them as well as brings uh, – as well as make sure they don't, they don't blow it up. I've built this nest egg. How do I make sure that that's going to that's going to be the driver for my lifestyle right the way through the next ten to fifteen years? Mm-hmm. So, so there's there's lots of challenges out there. It's actually always good. I mean, I I, I would say this to any anyone listening. I mean, I've been in thirty five years, but I still love this um, industry and the emerging profession it is. Uh, embracing education, I've got I've got. I've got uh, just as many um, frustrations with how probably how FASIA was inputted and recognition of prior learning and all those other bits and pieces. Um, but to get there and going right back to Martin's comments on trust, all right, to, for, to get to the stage where a consumer walks into a financial planning business mm-hmm. and recognises a person sitting opposite them will have the right education and the skill set um, to provide um, good financial advice for them and their family. That's what education is going to be about. Mm. doesn't stop crooks. It just makes it harder. Mm. Okay, the higher the barriers to enter, entry, the better the quality of the people coming into the business, and it then lifts the bar for everyone. So, mm. yes, yeah, so, you know, Paul, Paul Carney in, in, in Melbourne probably loved me to say this, but, yeah, we're going to get to a profession. Mm. There's lots of professionals already in it. All right, we just need, 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 now need to move that next step where um, people recognise and embrace that this has to be a profession. We have to be able to, at the same sort of level as trust as lawyers and accountants out there for their clients. Mm. Yeah, look, uh, great conversation. Uh, thank you both for participating, um, Martin and Paul. Um, did you feel Thank well? you for having us. Not at all. Yeah, thank you. Thanks, Matt. Very well.